Good morning. We want to see everybody around that table. We do. Speaking of table, how many of you are signed up for date night a couple weeks from now? Yeah, that's what I thought. You guys need to get signed up. Seriously. I, I, I realize all you got to do, sign up. And the sign up is just purely so that we can make sure, you know, we got the food prepped and that sort of thing. I, I'm encouraging you to put your name on the list and then go after that deal. Um, it's going to be free. Ding, 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 ding. It's going to be fun. And I'm saying that for all the guys in the room who have been coaxed into marriage events before when all they did was like beat you up for not, for not doing what you were supposed to do. That's not what this is at all. It's going to be fun. Hopefully you'll be encouraged on that night, but no beating up. Ain't, ain't going to happen. Nobody's going to beat anybody up. We're going to play some games. We're going to have a good time. Food, child care can be provided. I'm saying put your name on the list and let's go after this together. You need to be in the mix of people who are fighting for marriage just like you are. All right? So put your name on there. Go ahead and do it today. All right? Before you leave, make sure you go ahead and do that today. Um, it was also mentioned... Um, next Sunday, going to be a big day. I, I hope you'll bring people with you. We got Mother's Day, which by itself makes it, right, the day of all days, right? And then we got, we got child dedication that we're going to celebrate. We've got graduations that we're going to celebrate this next week. And then I, I'm, we're going to share some things with you, I think, next week that really could be... Um, crazy impactful for us as a church well into the future. And so I hope you'll be here next week, and I, I encourage you to, uh, to bring some folks with you. Well, we are working our way through a talk series called Put Me In Coach, which most of you know, it's, it's a famous baseball song. It's connected to baseball, right? John Fogarty, the whole deal, um, which, by the way, speaking of baseball, the Royals won a game. Actually, three since we've met last, which is more than they've won in combined weeks, right, prior to that. So I realize it could be better, but it is better than it was, all right? But this series isn't about baseball. This series is about belonging. And it's about settling in this truth, belonging in God's family is not about just sitting in the ballpark. Belonging in God's family is about being on the field. And so the way we're approaching this series is our song is not to be take me out to the ball game where I eat plenty of food and watch everybody else do something. But our song is put me in coach. I'm ready to play. And we're learning from the book of Acts. So if you want to grab your Bible and head to Acts, it would be worth you marking because we're, we're just, we're kind of taking in this whole story. Acts is about how the church began. It's right after the Gospels, by the way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then you land on Acts, all right? Now here's what we found. Acts chapter 1, we found out that Jesus gave a mission statement to the church, we don't really have to wonder, what in the world are we supposed to be doing? Because he laid it out, chapter 1. We'll read it here in a second. Then in chapter 2, we found out how God makes that mission work. 
So he said, here's the mission. And then last week we found out how he makes it work. Some 3,000 people believed and began following Jesus. The church was born and they were devoted to one another. They were joyful. They were generous. It's a beautiful picture. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Really, I'm just going to tell you about chapter 3, and we're going to read some of chapter 4. But let's start again with the mission statement, because as always, it will frame what we're going to read today. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, listen to it again. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's the power. And you will be my witnesses. That's your purpose. You're going to testify to what you know to be the truth about me. And then he lays out the plan. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What I want you to look at today is this plan begins in Jerusalem. Begins in Jerusalem. That's where the plan starts. And so... I want to show you some things about the church in Jerusalem that are true about the church in every generation. And my prayer today, my hope is that it will cause you to boldly trust Jesus. Because what you are up against right now in this generation, in this culture, is really what the church has dealt with from the beginning. That's what I want you to see. So, Acts chapter 3, let me just tell you what happens there. I'm encouraging you to read it, all right? When you go home today, if you haven't read it, read Acts chapter 3, but here's how it unfolds. Peter and John are on their way to the temple. And when they take the exit off of the interstate and come up to the stoplight... There is a man there holding a little piece of cardboard. He's lame, and he's asking for money. Peter and John stop, and Peter's response to him is, I don't have any money today, but what I have, you, what I, have I will give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand and walk. Now, don't you do that to the dude standing on the corner with the piece of cardboard, all right? Don't mess with with him. That wouldn't be nice, all right? But Peter says, stand and walk. And you know what happened? Dude got up. He stood up, and he didn't just walk, but the Bible says that he is leaping, which is what you would do if you've never been able to walk for 40 years of your life. He's leaping into the temple. You can imagine he he is praising God and a crowd gathers. And when a crowd gathers, Peter's like, hmm, I remember what happened last time a crowd gathered. Maybe we should try this again. And so Peter launches his second sermon. And guess what? I love this. It's pretty much like the first one. Here's how it goes. God meets you where you are. God tells you the truth about yourself. God offers you pardon. He offers you forgiveness. But the offer demands a response. And then we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 4. Here's how the story unfolds. Verse 1. 
the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. All right, now that's kind of crazy. Peter's preaching. He's arrested. But thousands more believe. I mean, that would kind of be like me standing here preaching to you this morning, and then the officers come in, and they cuff me, and as they're dragging me off the stage, I'm saying, all right, Y'all come forward, anybody who wants some of this. And we would go, ain't nobody going to respond to that. They did. Because the power of God's spirit was so magnificent that day that even as they are dragging Peter off the stage, arrested, thousands put their trust in Jesus. Now, the church is... The church is getting after it here. We, we, we know last week there were 3,000 people who believed. Now we've got 2,000. And, and, and the, the problem is we don't exactly know how to calculate the total number. Because sometimes when men, use, the term men is used, sometimes it's really referring to just males. Other times it's, it's referring to people. And it's just hard sometimes. A lot of people believe that the number's not 5,000. A lot of people believe the number could be 10,000 by now. We, we just don't really know. But I'm saying thousands at a time are trusting and I want you to see today what has always been true for the church. Wherever the good news of Jesus is faithfully communicated, some will receive and celebrate. Some will reject and seek to destroy. It has always been the case from day one. The good news of Jesus is declared. He died, was buried, raised. Some will receive and celebrate. Some will reject and seek to destroy. Now, it's like, well, what, here's, I'm reminding you what's behind all this. Because here's what God's doing. God's showing up where we are. He's showing up where we are, and sometimes it's like physically crazy where he shows up, like where you physically are, right? He, he can speak to you at a concert, right? I mean, wherever you are. But it's even more shocking where he meets us morally, where we are spiritually. In our brokenness, in our sinfulness, I'm reminding you, you do not clean yourself up to get to God. God gets to you. And then he begins to do the work within you. And so God shows up where we are, but then he tells us the truth about us. It's great news, we said last week. It's great news because what God tells me about me finally 
there's somebody I can trust. Because I already know that truth about me. So whether you're addicted or you're depressed or you're angry or you're anxious or you're selfish or you're destroying relationships, God says to you, hey, you understand you stink at playing me? You understand you're not good at being God? And that's the best news ever because I already know that to be the case. If he lied to me and told me I'm doing great, where in the world do I go from there? But the fact is I need him and so he offers me a pardon. He offers me forgiveness, which means I know I've messed up. I need it, but that offer demands a response. So you've heard it said before, sometimes as Christians we are labeled as though we need a crutch. You ever heard that? Christians are just weak-minded. They need a crutch. You know what? That is crazy true. I wouldn't argue that one second. I do need a crutch. His name is Jesus. I cannot do this life on my own, and he is the one, only one, who really can give me life. Think about Jesus' first sermon, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that'll get them flooding down the aisles, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the persecuted. Like, what in the world is that? And that's really not how you build a big church, Jesus. Yeah, it is, because he's describing people who run to him. And when we run to him, our life is most blessed. I'm encouraging you today to always remember when the gospel is declared, people will respond by receiving it and by rejoicing. But I'm also reminding you today that some will not because they are offended. And I want you to hear me, I'm not just talking about the fact that people will be offended by our moral position. Now, I understand why people would be offended by our moral position sometimes. We read the Bible and, and we go, okay, th this, is, this is what we believe um, about sexuality. We read the Bible and we go, this is what we believe about marriage. And I can get how people would be offended by that. But what I'm asking you to realize this morning is that I'm not just talking about the fact that people get offended by our moral position. It is the case, and it has always been the case, that often they are offended by Jesus himself. And the reason they are offended by Jesus himself is because Jesus meets me where I am. My heart. And he looks at me and he says, Jeff, you are not qualified to sit in that chair. You are not qualified to sit on the throne of your life. He says, I am. I made you, and you need me. And honestly, how's that gone for you, Jeff? H how are you doing sitting in the chair calling the shots? I mean, don't you think enough things have been broken by now? Haven't you done a pretty crummy job of pretending to be the king of you. 
And I'm telling you, this is what happens. Jesus really does confront us where we are, which means in our sin, in our brokenness. And he's like, you understand, you can't fix you. Get off that chair. It's mine. And I'm saying that's why people are offended. So watch what happens. Verse 15. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone, check out this line. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. What's the sign? What just happened? A dude that's been unable to walk for 40 years can now walk. He's like, everybody in Jerusalem knows it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Now, how crazy is that picture? Here's what they're saying. Look, we know this happened. Nobody can deny it. We've walked by this dude for years and years and years, and he never could walk. Right now, he's up at the temple doing the Macarena. He's celebrating. Nobody can deny it. The evidence is clear, but we don't want it. The evidence is clear, but we don't want it. You see, I like being God. And if he takes this seat, he may lead me places I don't want to go. It's the same thing that they did to Jesus over and over and over again. The religious leaders would ask Jesus a question, and then Jesus would answer the question. And come on, if you're sovereign God, you don't lose too many of those arguments. You know what I'm saying? You, you usually like come back with the answers like, wow. That's how we respond. We're like, whoa. But do you understand that they asked him question after question after question like that, and never did they seem to stop and go, hmm. Maybe he's right. But he would wow them with his answer, and then they would just get together again and go, shoot, that didn't work. Let's try another one. It's because the evidence was there. They just didn't want it. That's the culture that you face too. It's a culture that says, let me find reasons not to believe. Let me find ways to make this look Foolish. Verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, I love this because Peter has sat in on this test before, and last time, he failed. Last time, he denied. Last time, he said, I don't know him. 
But since then, Peter has received forgiveness, and this time when the test is served, he passes. He's like, look, you got to decide what you want to do with this, but as for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. Now, we read this stuff, and we just kind of roll on by it, but I'm saying, come on, if this is our day, it means we're standing in front of a judge. We are in a courtroom before a judge, and the judge says, don't do that anymore, and we're like, judge, you got to decide what you want to do, but as for us, we can't stop. I'm going to remind you, that's contempt of court, and that means prison. That's how bold these guys are. Verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. It's crazy. So much evidence that they know that to punish them, everybody's going to come unglued because it'll be so wrong. They know it. They can see it. It has always been the environment. Some receive the pardon offer. Some reject the pardon offer. And when they reject a Jesus, then they seek to marginalize those who follow him. They seek to mock those who follow him. They seek to persecute those who follow him, and they seek to destroy those who follow him. Now, here's why this is so difficult, I think, at times for us, because we read all this and we're like, well, we ain't worried about going to prison yet. Right? You, you could talk about Jesus tomorrow, and somebody might get upset, and I mean, at worst, they may punch you, right? You're probably not going to prison tomorrow because you said something about Jesus. It's the world in which our culture in which we live, our, our particular setting. But here's what I'm saying you got to wrestle with. It's this wrestling match for us over the desire to have people like you. The desire to have people like you. Now, come on, let's be honest. We want people to like us. We do. And if you're the person that's like, I don't care if people like me, we don't. Because you probably act like a jerk all the time, right? I, I'm, just, I'm not making that up. I'm saying anybody who's like, I don't care if people like me, they probably treat you that way, and so you probably don't like them that much. But most people on the planet, we, we tend to have a desire for people to like us. The draw is to be liked. And hear what I'm about to tell you. It's okay. Until... Unless it makes you sell out. It's okay for you to want people to like you unless it leads you to stop standing on the truth. That's when it's not okay. And then all of a sudden, your desire for people to like you turn you into Mr. Makeover for, G for Jesus. You, you, want, you want to give him a makeover, right? Let's make this a little more palatable so that people can, can just swallow all this. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. 
That's a good verse. Snare means a trap, by the way. So if you're playing for the approval of people, it's a trap. It'll make you a slave to their approval for the rest of your life. I recently had the privilege of being in a place where um, Lecrae was interviewed. Now, if you don't know who Lecrae is, Lecrae is a Christian hip-hop artist, right? And I think he's really, really good. Now, hip-hop is not my favorite kind of music. It's not. I listen to it sometimes. But hip-hop is not my favorite kind of music. But here's what I've learned over the years. I, I have learned that it is so much not about the style. I will celebrate any style that can reach people with good news of Jesus. And there are people that Lecrae can get to that you and I don't get to, all right? He has grown over the years with an incredible opportunity to tour in non-Christian circles. As in, he, he hangs out and tours with and performs with a lot of non-Christian artists. It's like... Who's, who's he following anyway? Because surely Jesus wouldn't be hanging out with people that aren't Christians. Jesus wouldn't be doing concerts with lost people. I know. Here's what he said. By the way, Lecrae has taken a beating from the Christian world for that reason. And this was the quote that he gave in that interview that I, I sat there and listened to him say it. If you live for people's acceptance, then you'll die from their rejection. And really, he's just echoing what Proverbs 29 just said. If you find your life by being accepted by people, if that is your lifeline, then sooner or later, you will find that lifeline cut. Another way I would say it, um, if I show you this picture, you guys are shaking in fear, right? Right now? Shaking in fear? All right, I tell you what, I give you $10,000 if you'll slap this. Just sneak up and pow, slap them. Now, the smart ones are you will know $10,000 ain't going to do you any good, right? Because not only will you not be able to walk, you, you just won't be able, right? Nothing left. How foolish would it be if I shake with fear at a kitten, but I would slap a lion? And my question is, how crazy is it that we fear men? more than God. How crazy is it that we play for the applause of men more than we do God? So like the parents who sit in the stands with you at your children's games, when their acceptance of you 
is more important than you pleasing God, then your real God has been revealed. There's, a, there's an example in the Gospel of John that reads this way. Verse 42, chapter 12, it says, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, this Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith. For fear, they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. So here's the picture. They believed, but they didn't want it to be known publicly that they believed. And, and why would they not want it to be known publicly? It was the fear that there would be social consequences to not be invited some places. Now come on, especially in our day where pretty much any stand that we take is tagged with being intolerant, right? That's our world. About any stand that we take as Jesus followers, we are labeled as intolerant. Well, the pressure is then to soften what we believe. Or at least you can believe what you want to, just keep it to yourself. And then suddenly we feel this pull at times to, to disassociate from Jesus and his people. And I'm saying we, got, we ought to be embarrassed to still live by middle school ethics. That's stuff you used to play in middle school. It breaks my heart, by the way, when I still watch it happen. And sometimes I watch, you know, kids come together and supposedly believe in Jesus and they kind of hang out and then you get them in the school hallway and suddenly somebody doesn't recognize somebody anymore. That stuff drives me crazy. But adults do it too. And as soon as the pressure's on, we do it to Jesus. We just go quiet because of what it might cost us. I'm saying this is how the church had to operate in that culture. What are we supposed to do? What do we do when the culture is hostile to what we embrace? Peter and John are threatened, and then they are released, and so then the church prays. Here's a little bit of the prayer. Verse 29, Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Hang on, I thought they were already filled. I told you. The scripture calls us to keep on being filled, it says in Ephesians, with the Spirit. Now, look, when, when you meet Jesus, he comes to live in you. The Spirit of God is fully present in you, and I believe he never leaves. Amen. But we are to live a life that is consistently leaning into him. He's the one in the chair, and I am constantly leaning into his direction, his guidance. I'm dependent on him, and when you do that, you are continually filled with power and boldness, which I told you last week is the greatest evidence in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit's in your life. It's not miracles, it's not tongues, it's boldness. So what they do is they pray for boldness, and then graciously 
Walk in that boldness. So you're asking me, how am I supposed to do this, Jeff? How am I supposed to operate in a culture, in a world that's always pushing back? How am I supposed to operate in that? You pray for boldness, and then you graciously walk in boldness. Now, let me tell you real quick how, how a local church can die, all right? Real quick, this is how a local church can die, and history will back me up. When you realize that what you have is offensive to the culture, what it lends us to tend to want to do is to soften the stances of the Bible in order to win people to Jesus. And our argument is, because it, it's just about Jesus. That's what it's about, period. It's not really about sexuality, and it's not really about marriage, and it's not really about whatever else you want to line up. It's just about Jesus. And I'm saying, you're right, it's just about Jesus. And I'm reminding you that the offense is not at just our moral position. The offense is actually at Jesus himself. And so when you realize that, the next thing you got to get rid of is the cross. Because, I mean, you can't be telling people that they're not qualified to sit in the chair of their life. You, you can't be tell, telling people they've done a, a lot. You can't tell people how bad they are. Therefore, we need to make sure that there's no, no message of forgiveness. They don't really need to be forgiven. So let's just take the cross out and we'll just replace all that with a bunch of people who are doing like really good things. I, I mean, like stuff like feeding the poor and, and helping the homeless. We'll meet the suffering needs of the world around us. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe we should feed the poor. I believe we should help the homeless. Homeless. Jesus, Jesus modeled it and he declared it loud and clear. But to only engage in those felt needs, but to hide the greatest need from them, I'm saying that is the greatest injustice that you could ever do to someone because their greatest need is a heart transformation, not just a changed situation. I'm thinking about sending that line to Lecrae. I think he could do something with it, you think? He would send it right back, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Look, we live in a day when people want to change what the Bible has always meant. It's like, well, that's not really what it means. We've all gotten smarter. And that's, not, that's not really what it means. I mean, Jesus wanted us to be accepting. And I'm just reminding you this morning that Jesus doesn't need Botox. He doesn't need you to make him look good because he is good. And when he tells us the truth, this is sinful and not good for you. That's not cruel. That's gracious. The cruelest thing would be for him to say, go ahead. Who am I to tell you you shouldn't do that? Now, come on, anybody going to do that to your kids? Anybody going to say to your kids, who am I to tell you not to do that? <laughs> you ain't going to hear that in my house. And I bet you ain't going to hear it at your house. Why? Because you love. You love. And so you're not going to say, who am I to tell you that? No, you're going to love them. And I'm saying that's what God does for us, and that's what he calls us to model. We are to be bold, and we are to be gracious, and don't waver, right? This is what we believe about the Bible. This is what it says. This is what it says about sexuality. This is what it says about marriage. Now, are those things primary? 
No, Jesus is primary. Are those things important? Much, much more than you can even imagine. Don't be cruel. Because the people you're talking to are people for whom Jesus died. And they hurt. And they're broken, just like us. There may be some of you, because I don't know everybody in this room today, some of you may have actually struggled to even come to church today because you weren't really sure if you'd be welcome. Because we might be a bunch of people who are just going to judge you. I'm asking you to stick around long enough that you could start to hear some of our stories. Because hear me, we're not innocent. We're just pardoned. We're not innocent. We're just forgiven. And the offer for pardon is still on the table. Verse, well, here's what happens. They pray, they live in boldness, and suddenly they become countercultural. We'll finish this thing up. Countercultural life. That's what you see in them. Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. How crazy is that? What has to happen to your heart that you would be so generous with your money and your time? Let's just talk time for a minute. I mean, let's just talk being generous with our lives. This should be a place where people who are struggling find people who will walk with them no matter how long it takes to walk it out. Some of us struggle with depression. And we get our meds dialed in, but we know that we're going to keep struggling until we get a new body one day. I'm saying the church ought to be the people who are willing to walk alongside We don't pass out silver bullets. This will fix. We love and we serve and we encourage to the end. Not give you a couple of weeks. No, we love and we serve and we encourage to the end. I'm saying, for example, the mentally ill should find refuge here. Why would we not love that way? Jeff, that could be dangerous. Yep, Jesus' life is. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So not only are they generous, but they are storytelling people, man. They are storytelling people. It's it's when you praise us, then we're going to tell you how Jesus is involved. That's where we go. Whatever's right in our lives, it's because of him. And, and then what's ever wrong in our lives, he's still with us. He doesn't bail on us. So you want to talk about my marriage? All right, let's talk about my marriage. These were the years that the struggle was so crazy. These were the years that I was so selfish. But you know what happened? Jesus. 
And since I've met him, here's the stuff that's been changing, and here's what he's doing in my marriage, and he's still working. But anything that you would want to celebrate that's good is because of what Jesus did. That's my story. You want to talk about sickness? Then we need to talk about Jesus. Yes, I'm sick. Some of you, your story is, but I've been healed, and it was Jesus who did that. Some of you, your story is, I'm still sick, but he is with me, and you know what? I'm not afraid. Only Jesus can do that. One of us is not here today. One of our brothers, Jim George, he, he went to be with Jesus this week. He'd be sitting right there. As I had the chance to visit with him, in those weeks prior, that man looked me square in the eye, and with not a shake in his voice, he said, I am not afraid, because I know Jesus, and I know where I'm going. That's our story. You want to talk children? We got to talk Jesus. Because without Jesus, man, I stink at this parenting thing. So much stuff I don't know how to do. So many decisions I don't know where to land. But Jesus is the source of the direction. He's the source of patience. He's the one. You want to talk children? We got to talk Jesus. You want to talk finances? We got to talk Jesus. Because there was a time in my life where I thought life was about getting. But once I met Jesus, I found out he turned that whole thing over. It's about giving. And here's what he's done in me. You want to talk anything? We need to talk Jesus. We have one to praise, and it's not us. It says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That's crazy. So committed to one another. I'll never forget um, I haven't been able to get Jim out of my mind this week and today and I still remember the auction right we just went through an auction one year Jim gave his boat to the auction so that the boat could be auctioned and the money could go toward helping kids get to camp and to mission. Now come on. There are men who can give their cars and men who could give their houses, but when a man gives his boat, <laughs> that man's in. And he did. And that year some kids went to camp. Some kids went on mission. Some kids met Jesus. Some other people in the world met Jesus. I thought this week about Togo. Just thinking that we've been in this thing for, you know, 10 years or so in Togo. And all the children's lives who've been changed there. Because when we went there, nobody paid any attention to children. They just sat in the back of the church and they whack them with a stick. That's true. But now there are ministries where the gospel is proclaimed in children's lives in so many churches there. I think about the women's ministry where, where 
just year after year as, as we pour in there and women begin to see the value that Jesus has declared over them. I think about all the people who have met Jesus in the process. I think about 30-something pastors who have been trained to, to proclaim the gospel. You know how that thing started? It started when a field of beans was planted and then given. And it was laid at our feet and said, as God is calling us there, let this be what gets it started. <laughs> Isn't that wild? God did it in the first church that way. And he's still doing it in the church today. I find it interesting that when they gave, they let go, by the way. You notice that? That they brought it and they, they let it go and they're like, where does it need to go? I've seen people call it giving and it ain't really giving. They just, wanna, they just want the church to redirect what, what they want to see happen. I've had people come to me sometimes and it's sort of like, hey, I, I, I want to be generous, but here's where I really want to go and this is what I want to do. So it's okay, right, if I just, like the money I would have given, I, I'll just, I'm just going to keep that in order to do this. And I'm like, mm, you can do what he tells you to do, but when I read the Bible, that it really isn't the picture I see. There's a part of giving that lets go. like who's in the chair who's in the chair so come on let's be the countercultural people God's called us to be and in our marriages that can be so difficult let's lean into the covenant we've made let's keep leaning into Jesus and let's lean into our spouse Let's be countercultural in the way we love our kids, but not love them in such a way that we lead them to think they are God, because they're not. That's not loving. Let's fight furiously against our sin. Let's be bold and let's be gracious. Let's be unmoved. Let's be rooted in God's word, because he knows more than us. And I promise you, there is coming a day when all of this will not feel foolish until that day stand I love you let's pray God our prayer today <laughs> is that you would help us to see the lie when we feel the pull to please people more than you God sometimes we can get so wrapped up in that and we just so Seek the approval of people. God, it is a trap. I'm asking you to give us eyes that can see it for the way it really is. God, help us to see the deception in the pull to soften what you declare is best for us. And God, where your word stands, would you make us a people who are willing to stand right there? Give us boldness. But God, give us grace. We do believe there's coming a day that none of this is going to seem foolish. Until that day, will you give us wisdom? Until that day, will you give us boldness for your great name? It's in that name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen.